0: What is wrong with the senior choir today? Oh my god. What is, they sound like the young adult choir today. Lord, come on, let's honor, let's honor our senior choir, at least some of them. We're proud of you. Great job, great job, great job. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you're joining us at our Dallas campus, by the way, you've got Jada with you today. She's hanging out at the Dallas campus. If you're joining us at our Louisville campus, welcome. If you're joining us at our Prosper campus, and then if you're joining us at OCC Global, what a joy it is to have you worshiping with us today. And do we have a word for you today? All right, we do. Now, uh, we made it through last week. Um, A lot of people came after us. But we made it. Praise the Lord. They don't like when you talk about other people. But we talked about Jesus plus nothing equals everything. So we're not adding anything to Jesus. It is Jesus alone. That's what the whole book of Colossians is all about. And on today we've got a guest and for the first time ever, At this house, we have a son of our ministry that's going to preach the word of God today. For the first time ever, we got a son. I'm so excited about this. It's like a dad who wants to see his son preach a sermon. But you'll see. You'll see. Don't take my word for it. You'll watch. You'll see. And so his name is Pastor Robert White. He hails from Tarrant County, a church called Freedom Church. And we have invested in him. And he has been an incredible young man, doing incredible things in Tarrant County. So why don't you help me welcome one of the sons of this house, Robert. Come on,
1: man. Let's preach the word together. Awesome. 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 Uh, Come on, somebody. Can you give God some praise in this house this morning? I appreciate the claps for me, but can we know that Jesus is the center and that we want to give him more praise than we give any man. He is truly worthy of our praise. If you believe it, say, yeah, I believe it. Amen. To all of you who are in the room at all of the campuses and online, it is my esteemed pleasure to be here at One Community Church this morning to bring the word where our pastor is a phenomenal leader and man of God. Amen. Come on, you ought to give God praise for our pastor. I I say our pastor because every pastor needs a pastor. Don't tell me who you're over until you tell me who you're under. That, 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 that I need to be under submission to someone. And listen, I listen to you uh, every week. And so I am in a series called Faith ID as well because I'm being fed by this series. And the Lord has been blessing me through this series. I realized I had an epiphany last night uh, that I should have been coming behind him preaching every single series that he preached and just came up here and took all the props Took it to my church and utilized them. I was working way too hard. And so now I realize uh, what I need to do in the future. Listen, I also want to give honor to his beautiful, lovely wife, who is one of my top five preachers. Oh, y'all tripping. I don't know, I don't know how they're responding at the other campuses. But I need you to know that Jada Edwards is one of the most amazing preachers and hearts in the body of Christ globally. I'm not talking about in Collin County. I'm not talking about in the Metroplex. I'm not talking about in the nation. In the world, you have one of the best communicators in the world right here in this house. And can I slow down and say something? One, what is happening here is not normal. Let me say it again. What is happening here is not normal. This is a move of God. This is a move of God. This is not normal. Churches don't, don't, don't go 13 years and reach the world the way that you are. Churches that are 13 years old, you're a teenager. You're a teenager. Can you imagine that? Some of you got teenagers. You're like, yeah, this is not normal. You got, you're a teenager who is influencing the world. You're a teenager that have your imprint in churches that are affecting their areas. This is amazing and I don't want you to take it for granted. Well, we're in a series called Faith ID and we're going through the book of Colossians. And so if you would turn with me to the book of Colossians chapter number three and we're going to be in a message today called Fix Your Focus. Fix Your Focus. I believe, I believe that this series has been blessing me and I know that it's been blessing you as last week pastor talked about the substitutes, the substitutes that try to take us away from the supremacy and preeminence of Jesus that there is nothing else that needs to be added to Jesus, that Jesus alone is sufficient and significant for us to go through and go toward what God has for us. And so as we continue in this series, I believe that Paul has a word for us in the uh, the third chapter of the book. And before we get into that, I want to tell you a little story. Years ago, I was a student pastor at a church, and uh, as student pastors do, I would often stay uh, late at work, working with students, dealing with their families, and driving home after that to be with my family. One particular night after a Wednesday night, leading the students, hanging out with some of my leaders, and then going home, I was drowsy. I'm driving home, and as I get to the exit, I'm almost to the exit off the freeway where my home was, I found myself drifting out of my lane and I hit the guardrail because I had fallen asleep. I had fallen asleep and totaled my car, drifted out of my lane, hit the guardrail. And I oftentimes, when I tell the story, say, thank God for the guardrail because on the other side of the guardrail there was a ditch and, and I don't know about you but that's a shouting word right there at the beginning of this message that's not my message because I thank God for all of the guardrails of my life the things that he's used to stop me from falling in ditches that could have taken me out but that night I ran into the guardrail avoided the ditch all because I did not wake up after the warning of the bots dots if you understand anything about roads and road construction, there are these things that are on the road called BOTS DOTS. And they were engineered by a man named Dr. Albert Bott. Dr. Elbert Bott years ago was uh, a worker for Caltrans in Southern California and, and Caltrans was trying to figure out a way to help people when they drifted out of their lanes as traffic began to increase and speeds began to increase on California highways. I am specifically and uniquely qualified because I'm from Southern California and the folk out there drive crazy. Any Southern California folks in here? Because if we are moving we want to move. Come on somebody. Uh, we sit in a lot of traffic and so what bots Dots were invented to do was they were a epoxy, uh, uh, round uh, plastic things that were placed on the ground so that when you begin to drift out of your lane, y'all have experienced it before, your wheels begin to reflect off of the bots dots and you get that boop, 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 you know what I'm talking about? And it's a warning that you're, lift, you're drifting out of your lane. It's a warning that you're drifting outside of the zone or the safety of where you were going in your destination. Can I tell you this? That the book of Colossians is the box dots of the New Testament. That The book of Colossians is the bots dots of the New Testament as we look at the wheel of our lives and God is taking us somewhere with Jesus at the center. The book of Colossians reminds us when we begin to drift into things that are no longer the centrality of Jesus or the preeminence of Jesus or the supremacy of Jesus. This book gives us the get back in your lane. The, the, the book of Colossians gives us the buh, 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 buh. you are drifting into something that is a substitute. The book of Colossians gives us the buh, 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 buh. I need you to fix your focus. See, because everybody's not asleep at the wheel, sometimes we just lose our focus. You can be looking at something in your car and begin to drift, you can be looking at something in your life and begin to drift. Your marriage can be in trouble and you begin to drift. Your business can become your God and you can begin to. Drip. And the book of Colossians says, no, no, let's fix our focus because God does not want you running into the guardrail or even worse, the ditch. He wants you to make it to where he has you going. And so in the book of Colossians chapter one, Paul gets personal with the Colossians by giving them a greeting and talking about the prayer of thanksgiving that he has for them. He starts off his letter personally in the book of Colossians. Then he moves to chapter two and he deals with some things doctrinally. And then in chapter three, he goes to a place of being practical with them. He starts off personal, then he goes doctrinal, and now he is moving into the practical. And today what I want to do is I want to help us Look at chapter 3 of Colossians and see that when we fix our focus, we realize that the focus is the fix. Let me say that again. That when we fix our focus, we actually realize that the focus is the fix. That there are many of us here who've seen circumstances and situations in our lives, but we have not seen them clearly. And the answer was right in front of you. But because you did not have your focus fixed, you missed what God was trying to do. And so as we look at Jesus in Colossians chapter number three, I want you to fix your focus on him. Spoiler alert. I want you to fix your focus on Jesus and realize that the focus is the thing that's going to fix those things that are broken in your life. The focus is the fix. So I got three things uh, that I want to give you that will be fixed when you fix your focus on Jesus. The first one that will happen is you will fix your algorithm. You'll you fix your algorithm. If you take a note, write that down. Here is what it says in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. I told you that this is Paul's shift in the letter to practical things and he starts Colossians chapter 3 by saying if then or since then you have been raised with Christ. If you go back to chapter 2 he talks about the fact that we no longer live, we are buried with Christ that we have died with Christ but then if we have died with him we also have been raised with him and he says if you have been raised with Christ, not raised for yourself not raised to your pleasures, not raised to your own ambition, not raised to the things that you desire but raised with Christ in new life with this spirit living in you, he says, there are some things that you've got to do. I need you to get this, that the Bible was not written for you to have just information and inspiration, but there are some practical behaviors that come after your belief. There are some things that you've got to do as a result of what it is that you know. Uh, the old folk, you say, if you know better, you do better. And the problem with many Christians is that we come to church and we gain information and we say, preach preacher, and you're doing a good job. And we leave here and not do what it is that we've learned. So Paul says, I want to give you a personal understanding of who Jesus is. I want to take you through some doctrinal uh, issues about what Jesus has done. And now I want you to know that because he's done something, you've got to do something. He says, since then, you've been raised with Christ. I need you to fix your focus. He says, since then, you've been raised with Christ, the one who is supreme and sufficient. I need you to do something about it. See, effective communicators, one of the things that I've learned over the years, they they, they, after they give you the know what, they take you to a so what and then a now what. An effective communicator will take you from a know what, you need to know something, to a so what, why does it mean something, and then a now what, what do you do about it? And so Paul takes them to the so what and the now what in this particular text. He says, the results of your faith should show up in your focus. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. He says, fix your algorithm. Pastor, you keep saying this algorithm thing. What is the algorithm? For all my aspiring social media influencers, you know that the algorithm is extremely important. You're going to act like you weren't trying to get some likes and shares on your Instagram post last week. I get it. The algorithm is super important. See, it is the algorithm that presents to you what it is that you like. It is it is what you get. It is what you it's what feeds you your desires. When you're looking at social media, the algorithm is what presents to you uh, uh, what it is that you have curated for your life. What you get on your social media is not what you find. It's what you focus on. I'm going to say that again. Social media. In social media, the algorithm presents to you what it is that you've liked, what it is you've commented on, what it is that you've you've shared. You don't get what you find. You get what you focus on. I can tell who you are by looking at your social media because what you like is what's going to show up. I I can see what you like. Oh, y'all say, well, I'm not on social media like that. I can look at your Netflix. And tell what you like because it's going to recommend to you things that are similar to what you've liked before. It's called an algorithm. The algorithm feeds you what you desire. Can I talk to you about your life? That what you've been said is what you've desired. What you've been focusing on is what you're being said. This is the reason why some of your political views are the way that they are. Because you're getting what you desire. You're not looking for objective truth. You're looking for somebody to agree with your opinion. We've we we we've got, we've got people in our day, in our society, who are not looking for truth. This is why Jesus is so offensive to people. We don't look for truth. We're looking for someone to just agree with what it is that we're saying. And the algorithm provides for you, it provides for you what it is that you desire. And so what Paul is saying is, he says, hey, if you're going to fix your algorithm, I need you to seek the things that are above. He says there are two sides to this algorithm. The first one is that you seek it. And that's your desires. Paul says, I need to know that you desire, that you desire Jesus and the things that are above. He said, not the things that are on the earth. He says, I want you to seek those things that are above where Christ is. He says, I want you to seek it. You don't pursue what it is that you don't desire. And here's what, what the text is saying. The text is saying is if you're going to change your algorithm, you've got to look at some things differently. If you're going to change your algorithm, you got to find some different things and focus on some different things. I told you before that on social media, you can't help what you find, but you can not help what you focus on. Can I tell you that's the same thing in life? That, that life may bring to me some heartache. I can't help what I find, but I can't help what I focus on. I can't help what, what, what's been presented to me. I can't help that I'm sick, but I can uh, focus on the fact that he is Jehovah Rapha, the Lord, my healer. I can't help the fact that the world is uh, flooded with racism and political turmoil and immorality, but I can focus on the fact that Jesus changes hearts and minds. And if I just focus on the Savior, things can change. I don't get what I find. I get what I focus on. There's some of us who have a negative outlook on life and continually over and over and over again, we see negativity in our marriage, negativity on our job, negativity in our health, negativity in all of these things. You know why? Because that's what you're focused on. And Paul says, I need you to raise your sights. I wish I had some people at one this morning that would agree with me that we need to get high. They got quiet on me. He says, "He says, I want you to get high. Put that in the chat. Blow it up so that somebody who went to the restroom, when they come back, they say, why are they saying get high? Here's what I want you to do. I want you to lift your head up above your circumstance and focus on the things that are above. I need you to lift your head above what it is that you see to the things that are unseen. You now have a seat with Christ in heavenly places. He says, stop looking so low. I need you to get high. First part of the algorithm is that you seek it. That is your desire's. But the other part of the algorithm is that you set it. Watch what he says. Seek those things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. But he says set your minds on things that are above. Robert, those are the same things that seek it and set it. Nope, they're two different things that you seek it. That's your desire. Well, when you set it. That's your determination. Uh, there's another type of algorithm that I learned about. I got a friend who dabbles in stocks and he said there's a thing called algorithm trading. And algorithm trading puts you in a position where when you, when you begin to trade and you don't have the time and, and the, the vigilance to sit down at a computer all day long, algorithm trading allows you to watch certain stocks. And as you watch those stocks, you, you put a low price in and a high price in. And so if the stock gets to a certain price, you can buy at the lowest point. And when it gets to a certain point, uh, you can sell it off at a certain point, and the algorithm does the work so that you don't have to uh, you don't have to invest on emotion. He, he said the reason why the algorithm is so good is because it's predetermined. It's predetermined, and so when things happen in a millisecond, things that he can't be prepared for, things that happen in the market that are unexpected for him, he's got a determination in the market, and it's set for him in advance because he, he doesn't want to invest on emotion. What literally happens is he now has an objective standard that he can look at and say, hey, if it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. But I am not going to be uh, investing on my emotions because my emotions will have me risking too much. My emotions will have me losing it all. My emotions will make me get greedy. Can I talk to somebody in your life? You need an algorithm that sets and predetermines what it is that you're going to do when life throws things at you that are going to be difficult, when life throws things at you that are going to mess with your mind, when your emotions get in the way. You need a predetermined standard. Spoiler alert. His name is Jesus. Looking to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. You need to set a predetermined standard, the algorithm of your life needs to be predetermined so that when marriage gets hard, divorce is not in your algorithm. So that when, when when you're looking to increase uh, in, your, in your career, that cheating your way or climbing up over other people is not an option. You stay with humility and reflecting who Christ is, even in the marketplace. When you are a single mother and you're ready to give up because things uh, uh, just seem so difficult and you're ready to take the next person in just to have a partner. And God says, no, the algorithm is trust me. He says, and my God shall supply all of your need according to his riches and glory, which is in Christ Jesus. Get you some scriptures that can predetermine your algorithm. Get you some promises that can predetermine your algorithm. There are so many of us who don't have a predetermination. And the reason why we don't get through is because we're not focused and we don't have a set algorithm. Here's what I need you to do. I need you to understand that the algorithm, the algorithm of your life is going to be sought and set after Jesus. Here's the thing, we end up constantly bombarded by the things of the world and what we focus on literally projects into our future. And what the Lord is telling me to tell you today is that we need to fix our algorithm. We, we, we don't want to be stuck in a place where we're looking at the things of the world and looking at the things that we're used to and stuck in. And our algorithms now have us thinking a certain way. Paul says, if you would seek those things that are above and set your minds on the things that are above, you, you can change your algorithm. Why is this important? Because verse three says, you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. I love this. If you're still living for yourself, you're worshiping a dead person. If you're still living for yourself, you're worshiping a dead person. You are what they call a necromancer. You're you're in love with someone who no longer lives. The apostle Paul says it again in Galatians chapter 2. It is no longer I that live, but Christ who live in me. And the problem with many of us is we're chasing after dead dreams. Chasing after dead desires, chasing after dead things. And the Bible says you as a believer, I'm not talking to those who have not yet given their lives to Christ. They're still dead in their sin. But I'm talking about those who have died to your flesh and have been risen with Jesus. He says, I need you to understand that you have died with Christ and your life, watch this, is hidden with Christ in God. I love that because now I'm in a divine witness protection program. That when the enemy comes back to me, trying to remind me of my old algorithms, when he comes back to me, trying to present to me things that I used to like, share, and comment on, when he comes back to me, trying to show me how I used to think, I'm hidden with Christ in God. When the enemy tries to describe for me my past and tries to make me feel guilty and shame about what I used to do, how I used to think, and where I used to be, I am hidden with Christ in God. When my flesh tries to show up and drive me back to places that cause me to step Outside of the will, purposes, and promises of God, I'm hidden with Christ in God. The problem with us is we want to be so recognized, we don't want to be hidden. Everybody wants to be recognized. Everybody wants acknowledgement, and so we don't like being hidden. But I'm telling you, the safest place in the world is to be hidden with Christ in God. First thing that we do is when we fix our focus, the focus is the fix. It'll fix your algorithm. Number two, though, it'll also help you fix... Your appetite. It'll help you fix your appetite. Uh, Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 through 10 says this. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Now, now I'm going to pause right there at my, my, my Bible. There's a colon there. I'm going to pause at the colon. And I want to say this. I'm going to read a list. This is not my list. Y'all don't go home and say, that man came in there and whooped me upside down. I did not do this. Paul wrote this. I'm a divine parrot. I'm just repeating what it says. Here's my list. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you two once walked. You were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Here it is. Another list. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your, your mouth. You know what I love about this list? Paul goes for the gusto the first time, and he talks about sexual sin and passion and evil desires. And there's somebody in the background saying, mm, yes, get them, Paul. Get them. He's like, Paul, you need to talk to those folk who are sexually immoral. And then he comes back and he says, but what about your anger problem?" Paul says, what what about the fact that when somebody corrects you, you burst into wrath and you cannot receive correction? Paul says, no, no, no. I, I need you to understand that the things of your flesh are not just the things that are unacceptable sins on the front row of a church, but they're those things that are hidden in your heart that literally show up out of your mouth. They show up in your attitude. They show up in your actions. Paul says, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another. Seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. This point is fix your appetite. When you fix your focus, the focus is the fix and it will fix your appetite. Paul gives us this this list. And he says, these are the things that you were. I tried to emphasize that for you. He says, he says these were the things that you used to walk in. These are the things that you were living in. He says, but there's a change of appetite that comes with a change of algorithm. There's a change of appetite that comes with a change of algorithm. The more I see these new things, the more I desire these new things. My wife is funny because uh, she eats with her eyes. She, she eats with her eyes, completely eats with her eyes. If there's something that she sees that she does not like the way that it looks, here's what she does. She will not eat it. There are certain things that I love that my wife doesn't love just because she doesn't like the way that they look. She can't stand mushrooms because she can't stand the way that they look. Now, me, on the other hand, you can tell I'm not that picky of an eater. I eat what I like, whether it looks good or not. But my wife, it's funny, she eats with her eyes. And so there are times when I will cook a dish and I want a certain flavor in the dish. She's not necessarily opposed to the flavor. She's opposed to the way it looks. And so what happens is I try to sneak the thing in the dish so that she doesn't see it. But that the flavor is in it and so that I can get the pleasure out of the flavor even though she doesn't like the sight of it. But my wife is so keen on what it is that she doesn't like that what she's learned to do is pick out things like mushrooms. I'll put them in certain dishes. She'll see that Mm-mm, there's mushrooms and she won't eat the whole thing. Even when I put it in something she likes to eat. She says, she says, no, I won't eat it. I said, babe, but you like this. I just put a few mushrooms in it to enhance the flavor. She said, I don't do mushrooms. Because what I love about what my wife has done and I got adopted for my spiritual life is that she's learned to be disgusted by the things that she does not desire, even when it's disguised in something that she desires. I'm going to say that again. She's learned to be disgusted by certain things, even when it's disguised in what she desires. That the enemy has been cleverly placing things that are death to you in things that you desire. But because your appetites are messed up, you look and you miss it. You're so excited about what the meal is that the enemy has placed in front of you. You're so excited about the profit that you miss the ethic. You're so excited about the opportunity that you miss prayer. You're so excited about whatever that thing might be. And here's what the Lord says. He says, be careful because the enemy is disguising some things that should disgust you and some things that you desire. And here's what the Lord has told me to tell you. You got to change the way that you see the things of the flesh. Paul gives us this list of things that he lays out in this text. I'm not going to go one by one through them. I know y'all were scared. I'm not going to go one by one through them, but I do want you to see that these things that Paul lists have got to look like rotting fruit to you now. These things that Paul lists have got to look like poisonous fruit to you. You need to understand that the change of algorithm should lead to a change of appetite. These things that that are happening to you, God is not opposed to your hunger. He's just opposed to how you're fulfilling them because of your appetite. And what he wants to do is he wants to fix your appetite. And here's what Paul says. Here's what Paul says. Paul says you can't be cute with this stuff anymore. He says you can't be saying stuff like, this is just my guilty pleasure. That's too cute. You, You see what the text says? The text says, put it to death. Woo! I get a little aggressive. Sometimes, sometimes you can tell that I get a little excited. And here's, here's what I saw when I saw this text. Paul goes in like a, like, a, like a soldier on the movie Troy or Gladiator or the 300. He pulls out his sword and says, every sin that's coming, I'm going to cut its head off. Ooh, that's a little aggressive for some of you. Let me let me back up. I, I believe that Paul is reminding us that the Christian walk is not a playground, it's a battleground. And the enemy, watch this, is putting things in your appetite that will eventually kill you. And so Paul says, in this instance, it's kill or be killed. This is a survival tactic, it's kill or be killed. The sin that's trying to destroy you, the sin that's trying to kill you, the things of the flesh that you say is just your personality. Try to destroy your advancement. Some of us, some of us don't even realize that we can't even get ahead in our careers because of these things. We, We can't get ahead in our marriages because of these things. These are the things that are keeping us from seeing ourselves the way that God has seen us. And Paul says, it's killing you. Not maybe physically, but it's killing your destiny. Maybe not physically, but it's killing you emotionally. Maybe, maybe it's killing you through anxiety. Maybe it's killing you through depression. God says, I want you to kill it before it kills you. Let me, let me, let me not go so hard with the killing. Let me say it this way. Maybe you should actively pursue doing the things of God and not the things of the flesh. That's, that's for the folk who say he's just, he's just going too hard. He's going too hard. Here it is. Paul says, he says, I need you to kill it. Because he understands that you're going to get hungry in life. He says, but if you don't kill the appetite, the way that you satisfy the hunger will be displeasing to God. He says. the reason why I need you to kill it and I don't want you to play with it is because you're going to get hungry. He says, hunger is not the problem. The fact that you desire success and you're hungry for success is not the problem. It's that you want success for you and not for the glory of God. The, 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 the fact that you want to mate is not the problem. The fact that you want to mate because you need somebody to hold you at night because you feel lonely and you have not fulfilled your need for companionship in your relationship with Jesus, here's the problem. He says your hunger is not the problem. It's how your appetite wants to fulfill your hunger that's the problem. We talked slasher. I said you need to put it to death. Can I go science on you? Can we nerd out together for a little bit? There, there's a science behind hunger. That there are two hormones inside of your hypothalamus that release when you're hungry. One is called ghrelin. Gr- ghrelin is, is, is a hormone that tells you that you're hungry. It's physiological. It is a survival tactic. When you don't eat, you will die. And so ghrelin tells you that you're hungry. Ghrelin begins to come up inside of your body and, and it'll start to create physiological changes in you because you're hungry. There's also a hormone on the other side of it though called leptin. Leptin also is protective because if you eat too much, you will die. And so leptin tells you when you're satisfied. The problem is in between leptin and ghrelin is this interceptor called dopamine, that when ghrelin rises up inside of you to tell you that you're hungry, your body now needs to fulfill or satisfy this hunger. And it won't know that it is until leptin is released. But what happens is dopamine shows up and whatever you use to satisfy your hunger, you begin to create an appetite for it because dopamine says that satisfied the hunger. Let's go look for it again. Leptin, being physiological, does not know that the cupcake wasn't nutritious. It just knows it filled your physiological need. And so later, when you got diabetes from eating too many sweets, the doctor is telling you to dump the donut, but the dopamine is telling you that's a bad decision. Y'all missed it. And so what's happening is your ghrelin says, I'm hungry. Your dopamine says, you got to get a cupcake. I'm talking physical. I'm going to come for you in just a minute. The ghrelin is saying, I'm hungry. The cupcake satisfies you for a season. The leptin says we're good. And the dopamine keeps taking you back to destruction. This is what's happening in many of our spiritual worlds. That you've got a hunger for certain things. You've got a hunger and a drive for certain things. But when you do not satisfy them in the spirit, when you satisfy them in the flesh, there is something that meets the need. And now, watch this. Oh, help me. An untamed appetite becomes an uncontrollable addiction. Jeez. An untamed appetite becomes an uncontrollable addiction. So now what happens is, when you see that thing that made you feel good in the moment... You, you got a taste of this, uh, this recognition on your job. And so now you're willing to do whatever it takes for people to use you. You want to be employed a month, the year, the decade, the century. You want to be the boss, the CEO and everything simply because you're trying to meet a need through the dopamine inside of you that's telling you, listen, I got to meet this. My appetite says I want more. This is the reason why you'll work so much that your family don't see you. Because you're driving after an appetite that's been created from a natural need. If a man don't work, he doesn't eat. It's a natural hunger that's been satisfied, watch this, through a non-satisfying means. And here's the thing about substitutes. They never fully satisfy. There's pleasure in sin, the Bible says, for a season. But here's what happens. It ultimately lets you down and is trying to destroy you. And this is why Paul says, you got to put it to death. Can I talk to some teenager? about appetites. Here's the reason why I want you teenagers to listen to your one community family, your families, when they talk to you about premarital sex and and how you need to save yourself from marriage because I got some adults in the room who ought to shout me down but they might be too ashamed to admit what I'm about to say because when you begin to have sex before you're married and especially when you're coming up in a Christian home what you begin to do is you begin to sneak around and do certain things because you know that it's not acceptable in your community. So as you're sneaking, what you're doing is you're building up an appetite for sneaky sex. And so while you're building up this appetite for sneaky sex, here's what happens. One day you get married, but you don't have to sneak with your wife or your husband, but it don't feel the same as it did when you were sneaking. Because the appetite you have now is not just sexual. There was a a natural hunger for sex, but now the, the sexual need has been met with a sneaky donut. And so what happens is you desire sneaky sex. So now you creep around with the secretary. You, you 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 find somebody in the DMs and it starts off innocent. You're just talking in the DMs, but something is arousing you because you got an appetite for it now. And as that appetite continues, you say, I don't love her anymore. I love this one now. And you leave this one for that one because the sneaky sex told you that was love because your appetite is showing you a desire that God never had for you. And so now you move from relationship to relationship to relationship because you don't know how to have open love because you're sneaky in your appetite. Ooh, I wish I had some adults who made some mistakes. Better say, you better preach. I'm still trying to get rid of my addiction now. You ought to be honest with yourself. <laughs> I, need, I need us to understand that we got to fix our appetite. So what does Paul tell us? He says, put it to death. But here's the blessing. Here's the blessing in putting it to death. He says, I don't want you just to be hungry. I need you to understand that you will only crave what you consistently consume. Write that down. You will only crave what you consistently consume. So instead of playing with these things in this list, why don't we become consumers of the word of God? Why don't we become consumers of the things of God? Why don't we find ourselves in a position, in a place where the things of God are the things that we begin to pursue daily? Here's the thing. Your appetite doesn't change overnight. You've got to continually eat it to develop a taste for it. There there are certain things that you didn't know you liked until you tasted them. There are certain things that you acquired a taste for over time. There are certain things that you ate and you said, this is a little strange. Coming to church and lifting your hands, it's a little strange. To, to to now pursue community in the fellowship of believers versus my own ambitions and solo, it I was a little strange at first. It was a little strange for me to wake up every morning and instead of putting on my coffee, I grabbed my Bible and began to open up my mouth and worship. It was a little strange. It was a little strange at first when I began to ask God what he wanted for my life rather than my vision board. It was a little strange at first, but here's what it did. It became, it became my appetite. And now I desire it more than anything. This is the reason why Jesus tells us that we ought to seek first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto us. This is why Jesus in John chapter number six tells a believer that what you have to do is you got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. He's saying the more you spend time with me, the more you'll develop an appetite for me. It seems strange at first, but this is why he says when he gives us the, in Corinthians uh, chapter number 11, this, 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 uh, pattern of communion that as often as we do it, we do it in remembrance of him. Because he says when you come to the communion table, you're acquiring a taste. You're reminding yourself of who it is that I am and what it is that I've done. You're acquiring a taste. He says, and at that table, your appetite is changed because here's what he says is going to happen. My grace plus your gratitude will make you greedy for my glory. Let me say that again. He says, the appetite that I'm trying to desire to try to develop in you is that my grace, the fact that I died for you when you were undeserving, the fact that I stepped in for you when you should have died for yourself, the fact that I gave you my life in exchange for your life plus your gratitude. Every time you... eat that bread and drink that cup, there ought to be something that happens on the inside of you that makes you grateful. And your, your gratitude plus His grace ought to make you greedy for His glory. Your attitude should be, I can't get glory for myself. I can no longer live for myself. I can no longer pursue the things of my flesh. His grace plus my gratitude makes me greedy for His glory. I need you to see this. Christ, Christ, Christ consumed the poisonous food and fruit of sin so that you wouldn't have to. Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, or 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 21, that he who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. What did Christ do? He did a divine role reversal. If you understand in antiquity, kings would sit on thrones and when they would bring him a drink in his chalice, there was a cupbearer who sat next to the king. And the cupbearer would drink out of the cup first to make sure that there was no poison in it so that the king could live. The king was so important that they were willing to let someone die drinking the poison of the enemy before it got to the king. Jesus being king reversed the role, sat in the seat of the cupbearer while you uh, sat in the place of the protected. And Jesus drank the cup of sin, died in your place so that you would not have to eat this fruit. He says, why do you have an appetite for something that I took away? He says, I'm protecting you from this poison. I need you to turn. So here we go. First things first, you got to fix your algorithm when you fix your focus. You will fix your appetite when you fix your focus. And last but not least, you will fix your attire. Verse 12 says, Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility meekness and patience bearing with one another and if one has a complaint against another forgiving each other as the lord has forgiven you and you also uh, also also you must forgive above all above all these put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony he says the last thing that it will do is you fix your focus it'll fix your attire he tells them that they need to put on some things but before he even tells you what to put on he says i want you to put it on as god's chosen ones." I believe that when I started this message and I started talking about changing your algorithm and changing your appetites, the enemy began to shame you right away. There are certain people who began to think about their past and saying, well, I do have an appetite for this or that, that I am stuck in this place or that. My mindset is here. And the enemy starts saying, that's why you don't go to church. That's why you can't invite your buddy down the way. That's why you can't do it because they're going to talk about your sin. They're going to deal with your issues. Accountability and shame are not the same thing. Well, 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 thank you for that little clap over there. I appreciate it. Here's what what the Bible says. The Bible says Paul is giving you some accountability in verses 5 through 10. He's saying that this is not who you are, but I love how he opens up this next section. He says, I want to remind you of who you now are in Christ. He says, I want to show you that you are chosen in God. I want to show you that you are holy and beloved that you are set apart and adored, that you are appreciated and affirmed, that you have value. He says all those other things devalue you. What Christ is trying to do is present you valuable. And there are many of us who, who, who have gotten stuck in our old appetites because we have body dysmorphic disorder in the spirit. What's body dysmorphic disorder? Let me see if I can help you understand it. Body dysmorphic disorder is when you focus on an area of your life that is messed up and you obsess over it rather than seeing yourself the way the rest of the world sees you. There are people who obsess over their nose or their stomach or their arms or something of that nature. And every time they're in the mirror, they're focused on the flaw. They're so focused on the flaw, they cannot see who they really are. Everyone else can encourage them and share with them who they are, but they're missing it because they've got body dysmorphic disorder. And I think that's what happens in our spiritual world. We come to church and we hear a message of accountability and we instantly lock in on our sin. And the spiritual body dysmorphic disorder causes us not to see who God is making us or who God has created us to be, but we see who we used to be and Paul says, I'm going to heal you right now of this body dysmorphic disorder. And I want you to understand you are chosen as God's holy and beloved. I can speak as a qualified person on body dysmorphic disorder. Recently, I lost 120 pounds. No, no, I'm like Pastor Conway. I ain't said it for you to clap. Don't clap. Don't clap. Here it is. Here it is. I say that to say that I understand what it's like to walk into a store where my wife shops and then look at some outfit that they got in the men's section and say, ooh, that looks good, but I'm too big for that. And then my wife says to me, hey, why don't you try it? They might have your size. Then I start trying them on and things are different. Now, the problem is, as I lost the weight, I also needed to change my attire. There were things still in my closet that I needed to get rid of. As I began throwing away clothes, though, here's the problem. Come on, Ray. Uh, Here's the problem. I began to keep some just-in-case clothes. In my closet, I had some just-in-case clothes. We'll start start with these uh, together. I had these pants. And I bought these pants, they were nice, and I wore them for an Easter service one time. And I said, I'm, I'm going to keep these pants, and I only wore them twice. And, and, and here's the here's the different, hold that side, hold, hold that side. Yeah, there's a lot of weight loss uh, in, this, in these pants. And, and so what happened was, I had these pants and only wore them twice. And so I started saying to myself, I don't want to throw these away. I didn't get enough out of them yet, but they don't fit me anymore. I got a young adult who's listening to me right now that God has called you out of something and into a new life, but you're saying, I didn't get to experience that yet. (laughs) There there are too many things that I have not gotten to know. And God says, I didn't want you to know them. See, if you go back to this, it'll eventually kill you. What I want for you is something that fits you and something that's healthy for you. That There was not only did I have my, my, my uh, I didn't get to experience all of that uh, outfit, but this, this next one in the middle, uh, what, what this one was, this was my, uh, I go to the big and tall store and I see a jacket that's kind of fly. And I say, you know what? I'm a big man, but I can still look good. So I put this jacket on, and when I went out, I felt good because it was it was a nice outfit. But now I keep it because it's sentimentally valuable to me. That I, that I look back and I say, this, this was the one that I enjoyed. This, this was the one I don't want to let go of because of the memories. This, this is the one that, that that I keep in my closet because when I look at it, it reminds me of a time in which I enjoyed this. And it was sentimental to me. This is the one that, that, that you, you live for the Lord until you get with your sorrows. Was that too, Was that too much? Somebody, somebody, somebody was out with their line sisters last night saying, you better leave us alone. This, this is the one, this is the one that I put on. And when the music comes on, I remember that date with old girl back in 99. This is that sin that I keep in the back of my closet just for the memories, you know, because I'm holy, but I ain't that Holy. I, I want to prove that there are some things in my past that keep me cool. That's that's that that's that middle jacket. And then here's this, la- this 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 one right here. This is my this is my just in case it don't work out. This this is my just in case it don't work out jacket. If you ever lost some weight, you know what this one is. You know what this one is. This is the one that says if I throw everything out and then I go back because this diet didn't work, this weight loss didn't work, this stuff didn't work, I gotta have something I can wear in my closet. This is the people who go back to the wheel when Jesus doesn't do for them what they wanted from him. This is the people who go back to the substitutes rather not the wheel. They go back to the substitutes. They go back to the substitutes. They go back to the substitutes and they say, well, well just in case Jesus doesn't come through, I got a little sage in the closet. Just in case Jesus doesn't come through, I'm going to keep a little black cult religion with me. Just in case I got to argue on Facebook and Jesus don't come through. I got, I got, I got a just enough, just enough stuff that I go back to. And, and, and just in case Jesus didn't answer, well, well, Jesus is not going to build the business the way that I want. Then I'm going to go back to what I used to do just in case. Hey, talk to me, somebody just in case my marriage doesn't fall apart. I want to keep contact with my ex. Oh, hey, hey, this is my, this is my just in case coat. And I kept it in the closet. This last one though, this, this one was crazy, Ray. This one was crazy because this last coat was one that was given to me by somebody that I admired. It was given to me by, by by one of my, one of my big brothers in the faith. He was a pastor and he was losing weight. And so he got rid of some stuff out of his closet. You got to be careful that people will move on and pass on to you what they've moved on from. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You got some people, you got some people in your life that they complained in your presence all this time. They moved on. Now you stuck with the complaints that they deposited in your heart. You better watch who you're allowing to feed you. If he's watching today, I'm not talking about you. I'm just saying you left me fat while you got skinny. Here it is. Here it is. This is my this 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 is my, it's, 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 it's passed down to me because some of us, watch this, let's be serious. Some of us got some generational things that we deal with. We got some stuff that was handed down to us and here's the thing, out of all the coats, if I get it at the right angle, look, if y'all are watching online, I'm looking at the screen for a reason. If I get it at the right angle, it actually doesn't look that bad. When I get it at the right angle, I can keep this on and I don't have to offend the person who gave it to me by saying, this. I have no more use of this. There are some traditions and thoughts and religion that you've been given that's not relationship with Christ, but you're too scared to discard it because you're going to offend mama and them. You're too scared to discard it because the person who gave it to you is somebody that you love. You can love them and they be dead wrong. And here's what the Lord has told me to tell you. Stop holding on to things that you don't fit anymore trying not to offend someone else. Here's the problem. Here's the problem with this coat. It looks good at the right angle, but it represents where I am and not where I'm going. Because if I stayed here, it could be halfway decent. But because I'm still making progress, this thing is going to get worse as time goes on. And what the Lord says, you you better discard it now before it gets bad. This represents those who want to stay stagnant with Jesus. That you're okay with coming to church on a weekend and lifting up your hands. Oh, God is awesome. But you don't reflect that in your life. That when God calls you to serve, he's not awesome enough to rearrange your schedule. Here's what the Lord told me to tell you, we got to take off all of this stuff that doesn't fit and put back on the things that he has tailor-made for us. What are the things that he tailor-made? Let's just close in the scripture. Verse 12 says, put on as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate Hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Watch, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. It's a requirement that you put on forgiveness. I I was looking at how do you start your wardrobe from scratch, and they said there are some basic things you need in your wardrobe. And Paul gives us a list of when you're ready to fix your attire. There are some basic things that you need in order to allow the world to see that you completely transformed and changed your style. Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has complained against another, forgiving each other. And here's 14. And above all these, put on love. Above all these, put on love. It is the most effective garment. Why? Because it binds everything together in perfect harmony. The things you used to wear had flaws in its stitching. And it will fall apart after time. You couldn't wear it for long because it was not it was not built to last. And here's the issue. Here's the thing that I want you to see. That what God has hemmed together, sewn together, uh, uh, seamed together for you is a garment of love that lasts eternally. The Bible says now abides faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. You better make sure that your life is seamed together by the thread of love and how does that happen when you redirect and fix your focus on jesus what do i want you to do as a result of this message i want you to look at your life just this week just this week just a simple thing this week and i want you to ask yourself like take inventory where's my focus like i want you to literally take inventory of your week this week and i want you to say where is my focus I'm not asking you to be perfect. I'm asking you to be natural. I'm asking you to see where it is and then begin to see the flow and direction of your algorithms, your appetites, and your attire. What are you wearing? What are you desiring? And what are you seeing as a result of your focus? And once you realize that Jesus is not the center of your focus and your life, I need you to rearrange everything. Fix your focus so that your focus can be your Fixed. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your people as they hear your word today. God, we pray in the name of Jesus that everything that you're doing in their hearts, God, will be cemented and settled, not by what I've said, but by the power of your Holy Spirit. God, we pray in the name of Jesus, God, that they will be able to fix their algorithms, their appetites, and their attire because they fix their focus on you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.